All right, let's turn our Bibles again to Ephesians 6, and we're going to again read the entire passage just to get the context. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning of verse 10. Ephesians 6, verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. When we were living overseas in Israel, uh, there was a young man, I called him my Timothy. Uh, He was a young man that uh, we were discipling uh, a lot, and his name was Isaiah. Still is, his name is still Isaiah, hasn't changed it, but... But anyways, Isaiah, he was an interesting guy. Uh, he lived up until he was about 14 years of age. He lived in the former Soviet Union, Russia. And then uh, at that age, he then came to Israel. And so what was interesting, he was never totally fluent in Russian, never totally fluent in Hebrew, and never totally fluent in English or any other language you want. So it was just kind of an interesting situation with him. But I loved the man and dad, loved his family. They were very faithful to our assembly uh, over there in Tel Aviv. With that being said, uh, God had been working in Isaiah's life in many ways, and I believe that he was even called to preach. And so I gave him opportunities to preach. And But you got to understand this, Isaiah was, and because of his language proficiency, he was really unsure of himself. And he's, he's gotten much better through the years. Uh, he's married now, has children. But anyways, Isaiah, as an older teen, around 20-ish, he was in the army and got out of the army, so... But he was very skittish whenever he got up in, in public to, to speak. And I gave him a few opportunities to do that. But he would always be, uh, I would say, like a motivator personnel. One day he would want to take the world, and the next day he would want to give it back. You know, maybe you've met people like that. That was Isaiah. Uh, and so I remember there was one time when um, I had, I forget exactly the circumstances now, but I got, uh, I had basically lost my voice. I can't remember why, but basically I had lost my voice. And I, was, I was preaching a series on the book of Jude. Uh, I clearly remember that. And I remember preaching that one message, and I, I couldn't speak very loudly. And so I said, Isaiah, can you, maybe you can preach and all that. And it said, well, you know, but, uh, um, you know, I said, Who, who's going to preach? Isaiah, can you preach? I said, well, no, I think, you know, you can do it, Pastor. I said, I can barely talk. And I said, uh, why don't you have the opportunity? And I said, well, that sounds really good. Then he realized he'd have to be preaching in front of everyone else. And they said, "Uh, Pastor, I think you're going to do a great job today. (laughs) Anyway, with that being said, I had lost my voice and could not speak for basically two weeks after that. But nonetheless, it was for a good cause, all right? But Isaiah was like that. And he was very uh, oftentimes hard on himself. He got very discouraged, and he would doubt even the gifts that God had given that I saw that was in him, and I saw potential in him. Uh, I think in some ways, uh, I think Aaron Zachman, uh, who is, by the way, I reached out. He sends his greetings to the church family. He's doing very, very busy right now with, with college uh, getting started, uh, but he sends his greetings to the church family. But Aaron, too, got to see a lot of potential in him, uh, seeing him grow. And uh, isn't it amazing how Aaron grew this summer? 
those that were around him and saw him minister, just praise God for that. But anyways, I saw that same potential in Isaiah, our friend in Israel. And so God had given him many gifts and, and abilities that, to be honest with you, because of his own doubting and, and even self-discouragement, he really struggled when it came time to actually serving the Lord. Today, he's doing much better. And I praise God for that. I rejoice in that. But I would say this. What do you think would have helped Aaron? Or, well, him too, Aaron Zachman. What do you think would help Isaiah, my friend? I think for him, what was essential is putting on the armor of God, specifically the helmet of salvation, having the helmet of salvation. And that's kind of what we're focusing on here today in our series on the armor of God. We're now at verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation. So how important it is. We've looked at many pieces of the armor already. We've talked about having our loins girt about with truth, having the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, and now we're talking about the helmet of salvation. So let's talk a little bit about that. I mentioned earlier when we were talking with the kids just a moment ago about a helmet like this. Again, this is more of a, a Grecian helmet uh, that you have here. If you want to come up later after the service, take a better look at it, feel free to do that, okay? Just don't take it home with you, okay? But anyways, this here is a helmet that was essential for militaries back in the day. And even today, our, even our military, they go into certain combat zones, you wear a helmet. It's an essential part of your uniform, especially essential part of, of what, you, what you are up against. But what does the helmet do? What's the purpose of the helmet? Very simple. We know this, that the helmet protects vital organs, your brain, for example, okay? If you didn't have a helmet on, by, by all means, you would be so susceptible to the attacks of the enemy. And um, at least having a helmet on would offer at least some protection, giving you some uh, advantage at least when you deal with uh, people opposing forces. But also another thing that was important, especially back in Paul's day, as he's writing here to the Ephesians, uh, that as a Roman soldier, that a helmet also identified the soldier. The helmet identified the soldier. Uh, a lot of times uh, different crests, uh, different uh, emblems on the helmet would identify which legion you were with, for example, or what position, if you were, a, let's say, a centurion versus a regular infantry or cavalry, for example. Uh, everyone would have a certain... The helmets had certain designs, and then, of course, that changed through the years. But generally, this helmet served a purpose also for identification, uh, especially when you're in the battlefield. And remember that, uh, oh, can I get out? I, I like the historical rabbit trails, so you guys know me. Remember during the Greek er times and all that, you, what was the, do you remember, does anyone know their history, military history? What was the major formations of the Greeks, of the Greeks, the Grecians? Alexander the Great. They formed what kind of formation? It was called, uh, does anyone know? Phalanx, okay, or the phalanx position. Basically, you had a huge group of uh, soldiers in block form. They'd have their spears all pointing out, and so whenever the enemies came, they would have to get through that wall of spears just to even get to the enemy. The, the Romans did something a little different. They still had those block formations, but they segmented their groups into mobile units. It, it took a lot more coordination, a lot more discipline to do that, but nonetheless, that's how they, that's how they did it. But having those helmets really kind of helped them as they identified each other on the battlefield. When those movements, uh, when those uh, uh, units had to mobilize, I think a great movie, if you want to look at the historical data on this, this isn't Bible, this is just a historical movie. Ever seen the movie Spartacus with uh, Kirk Douglas? Okay, if you watch carefully the Roman formation that were on the battlefield towards the end of the movie, that's very similar how it would have been like. They actually got that scene pretty accurate. 
uh, of how those units would have moved. Okay, so listening to your commander was vital. Uh, these uh, helmets also, it's interesting that the earpiece had a kind of a covering that would actually, uh, the ears would kind of be able to be um, open that you could hear your commanders a little bit more often, or at least more clearly, especially in the heat of the battle. So these were extremely important. But again, any soldier in their right mind, literally, would not go into battle without wearing a helmet to protect their right mind. Okay, very important. Another thing, too, as we look at the purpose of the helmet, very simple. We are ordered to wear it. Paul is saying here, put it on, on the helmet of salvation. This is, this is needed for you. Um, one thing we've talked about earlier, talking about putting on the whole armor of God, how vital it is for us to put on every single piece of the armor. It's meant to go together, okay? So to go into your spiritual battle or whatever part of daily life for you and say, well, I'm good with the belt of truth. I'm good with the shield of faith. Guess what? We need each and every one of these parts in order to be really effective for the Lord. Having a piece. Can you imagine, okay, next week, it's time, right? The Vikings are going to play the Packers, all right? So you're going to be here Sunday morning, though, right? Okay. All right. <laughs> Priorities. So with that in mind, can you imagine one of the Vikings players decides to get up in the huddle and they're, with, they're without their shoulder pads? Says, hey, I'm good. I got my shoes on. I got my helmet on. I don't need my shoulder pads. I'm good to go. Could you imagine what Aaron Rodgers would say? He would probably salivate and say, man, let's get that guy. Okay? <laughs> so how important it is for us to put on each of these pieces of armor? So important. So again, we are ordered, though, to put it, to take it and to wear it. Now, one thing I want to point out here, as we look at verse 17, the word, and take the helm of salvation, this is actually a different Greek word than what we found earlier in verse 16. It says, above all, taking the shield of faith. And then verse 17 says, take. So what does this take mean? It's a little different meaning here in verse 17. And here we find it really means to receive or accept the helmet of salvation. As if it was a, think of this as soldiers were lined up to get their armament, get their weapons, whatever it may be. Let's say there's a table full of helmets. You go there and you accept or you receive your helmet, put it on your head as a part of your armament. So this is the idea. And so the idea here that Paul is using this is take the, the helmet of salvation or receive it or accept it as given by your commander. In other words, Jesus has given us his armor to wear. Put it on. You know what, really, let me just kind of give this as a big overall approach to the armor of God. What does it mean when we really say put on the whole armor of God? It's really put your, put your mind, have the mind of Christ be in you. Put on Jesus Christ. He is your armor. Jesus is your armor. That's really what we're pointing to here, okay? So now we talk about the armor, the purpose of the helmet, but why the helmet of salvation? Why do we call it the helmet of salvation? A lot of times when people look at this, the first thing they think about is our salvation, that we are saved, we are saved from sin, we're saved from hell, and uh, talking about our, our salvation is like what happened already. But here's the thing about this, that Paul is writing here not to people who need to be saved, you know, from their sins, he's talking to people who are already saved, he's talking to believers, so exactly what is this talking about that, putting on the helmet of salvation if they're already saved? Well, let's talk a little bit about how Paul uses salvation here. Look with me back in Ephesians 2. This is a familiar verse to you. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9. These are familiar verses. And we've got to kind of start out God's plan of salvation, okay? It says in verse 8 and 9, For by grace are ye saved 
through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So essentially, what is this? When we are saved, when we are born again in that regard, we are, what does salvation do? Salvation, first of all, brings us into God's army. When we can think of the armor of God, salvation brings us entrance into God's army. We're now a part of his army. I mean, we are now new creatures in Christ, okay? We are saved. And by the way, when we are saved, we've got to think this, and, kind of, and this kind of helps us see a little bit of the use for the helmet of salvation, too. We are saved from really three things about sin. We are, first of all, saved from the penalty of sin. That's past. Remember, the wages or the payment of sin is death. When you're saved, you are passed from death to life. Okay, you are dramatically changed when you got saved. And I, I'm not asking you to remember the day or time per se, but do you know that there was a change in you? That, that day that that happened, okay? You've gone from death to, to, uh, to life, from darkness to light. Okay, how important that day is. And so we are saved again by grace through faith. There's nothing that you did to deserve that or to earn it. Okay, it only comes through the grace of Jesus Christ. So we are saved from the penalty of sin. That's the past, what happened, okay? By the way, the penalty of sin is death. That's eternal separation from God. We are also saved from the power of sin. That's present. That's where we live today, okay? The power of sin, okay? The Bible says that we are no, no longer under condemnation, okay? We are now new creatures of Christ. We are free. The, the, the weight of sin does not control us. Praise God for that because we are in Christ. That's talking about the power of sin presently. That, in other words, when you sin as a believer, you, in effect, choose to sin, okay? You don't have to sin in that regard, okay? But there's another essence of that. We are saved not only from the penalty of sin or the power of sin, we are also saved from the future presence of sin. One day, we will ultimately be delivered from this body of death. We still have the old man hanging around, don't we? We still struggle with that. But one day, praise God, according to his precious promise, Jesus Christ will return. He will make all things new. Praise God for that. And one thing we look forward to is that we will not have to live with the presence of sin in heaven. Praise God for that. I, I think I've told you this before, but I, one encouragement that's come to me about this idea is from uh, Johnny Erickson Tata. Many of you probably are familiar, familiar with her ministry, Johnny and Friends, for example. She's a quadriplegic. Uh, from a diving accident when she was a teenager. Uh, and someone had asked her some time back about, uh, Johnny, when you get to heaven, what's the thing you look forward to the most? And, of course, that person was expecting that she'd be able to walk or to move on her own, to, you know, do whatever, maybe go swimming again, all those kind of things. But you know what Johnny said? It wasn't any of that. She said, I am looking forward to heaven because I won't have to deal with the sin presence around anymore. Think about that. We won't have to worry about someone lying to us. We won't have to worry about someone stealing from us. We won't have to worry about people blaspheming the name of God. Put all that together. What a wonderful time. You know, that's kind of the world that we know that we live in. But have you ever thought that what God has promised his, his own, his children, is a, a future, an eternity, without the presence of sin around us? I think sometimes we are so affected by the presence of sin. I don't know about you, but it makes me say, even so come, Lord Jesus. What a time that's going to be when we'll be in his presence. 
So we are saved from the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin, the future presence of sin. So with that, what does salvation then help us with? Like I said, it brings us into God's army, but it also salvation helps us walk as God's soldiers. Look with me, Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So we are saved by grace, not of works, but we are saved to do good works. Okay? So that's, that's the idea that we have here. So salvation helps us then to walk as good soldiers. And that theme is kind of spread out here. Look with me in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of God, beseech you that you would walk worthy of the vocation worthy you called, or the calling that he's, he's asked you to do. And so again, we, have a, we are commanded to, to walk worthy. Over in Ephesians chapter 5, verse, uh, starting verse 1. Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ has also loved us, and had given himself for an offering, a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling uh, Savior. So here we are to walk worthy, but also to walk in love. Look at chapter 5, verse 8. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We're supposed to walk worthy. Walk in love, walk in light. And then verse 15. We are then supposed to see then that you walk circumspectly, not, with, not as fools, but as wise. So we are supposed to walk wisely or circumspectly is the idea. So it's how important it is that we have to have salvation and understanding who we are in Christ, what Christ has saved us from, what he is saving us now. We are being saved in that way from the power of sin. And one day we will be saved from the future presence of sin. That will be glory. Therefore, Paul is encouraging us that your walk is important. How you live your life is important. Therefore, when we come to the armor of God passage, this is not so much about how you're going to go battle out with Satan as demons. It's really how you're going to live your life effectively for the Lord, that you would walk worthy, walk in love, walk in light, and walk wisely. How important that we need that today. So with that in mind then, let's take this idea of the helmet of salvation a little bit further. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. When we think about the helmet of salvation, again, exactly what it is. A lot of people mistake that this is talking about, oh, you need to get saved. You know, if you're lost, you need to get saved type of thing. That's where you start, but that's not exactly what Paul is talking about. And how do we, what do we mean by that? We'll find out here in 1 Thessalonians 5.8. It says here, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Well, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Here's the Apostle Paul sharing with a different church, a different group of believers, okay? The Thessalonians who were under persecution, by the way. My word, did they have to live their lives effectively for the Lord? And here he is saying that we should, they should put on for a helmet the hope of salvation. So now we get to see what the salvation is about a little bit more. It's connected with hope. I think another word you could put there is assurance. So here's the thing. Salvation gives us assurance that Christ is our captain. That's what it's about. It gives us assurance that Christ is your captain. And as his soldier, how desperately we need to follow our captain. And when we put on the arm of God, we're really putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. How important that is. Okay? So, one other th tie, and I think this is crucial. Look with me in Romans chapter 5. We're at a couple of places today. We'll eventually slow down, okay? But bear with me for a moment. Romans chapter 5. I want you to see this, how important this is. Romans chapter 5. 
We're going to look at two verses here. I want you to see something here. And what we've talked about before, we've talked about past messages of how the armor of God really is interconnected with each other. Each, each part of the armor kind of uh, works together with other parts. And I want you to see this here, okay? The, and what I want to share with you right now is that the helmet of salvation is really associated with, in this case, the shield of faith. Look with me in chapter 5, verse 1 of Romans. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So having that shield of faith, that relationship with but believing and trusting God, what does that produce? Peace. The peace of God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look with me over in verse 5. He's talking about different things, uh, how we live in this grace by faith. And then verse 5 says, And hope, hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. And so here we have the helmet of salvation or helmet of salvation or the helmet of the hope of salvation. What does it do? It makes us not ashamed. In other words, we can live confidently and assuredly that we serve a great captain, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This is what this is about. So putting on the helmet of salvation is critical. It's vital for every believer. That no matter what attack you may be facing, by the way, a lot of the attacks that we experience, they're unseen. Uh, Sometimes we don't even realize what's going on in the background until we're kind of in the midst of it type of thing. But how important that we have this faith and peace, as we see in verse 1, and then now having that hope which maketh not ashamed. In other words, we stand confidently and assuredly. We have the assurance that Jesus is our captain. This is what it means, therefore, then, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in looking at this, our divine warrior, that's our God and our Savior, he wears the helmet of salvation as the worker and bringer of salvation. In uh, Isaiah chapter 59, if you want to turn there, you can. All right, Isaiah 59. I want you to see where Paul is writing this from. This is important, okay? Isaiah 59 and verse 17. I want you to see this verse. We actually talked about this a few weeks back. But I want you to see this importantly. Isaiah 59, verse 17. This passage here is really talking about a deliverer for, for the people, for Israel. And there was none to deliver them. So God in his strength and his might and as the commander, he is going to step in and deliver his own people. And this is what he this is how he's described. Verse 17, for he, God, put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. In a sense, this is the Old Testament, this is prophet Isaiah mentioning here the armor of God that God himself wears and that he gives to us as believers that Paul is using there in Ephesians. So as you compare scripture with scripture, here's the point of this passage here. Our divine warrior wears the helmet of salvation as the worker and bringer of salvation. In other words, you could say for uh, salvation is deliverance, okay? Uh, in the book of Romans, we talk about that... Uh, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The prophet Joel said kind of the same exact thing, except it says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. Okay? It's the same parallel passages that are going on. In application, Psalm 140, verse 7 says, O God, the, the, o God the Lord, the strength of my salvation has covered my head in the day of battle. 
how important we need God and his salvation, having that as our hope, as our assurance that no matter what comes our way, we are prepared and we are ready for it. Because why? When you're in Christ, you have nothing to fear. That's the point of this. So then why? What's the reason for the, uh, the helmet of salvation? Let me ask you this question. Where do most of your spiritual battles take place? We've, we've been talking about the armor of God and talking about the battles, but where's the battlefield that often where this takes place? It's usually in our minds or in our heart, isn't it? This is what we're fighting against. I don't know about you, but when you came in this door today, some of you might be experiencing such maybe great tension Maybe from a workplace situation. Maybe family tension of what's going on. Maybe in your neighborhood. I don't know. But you're, or maybe just something internally. They're just thoughts that are just oppressing you right now. And you can't shake it. You're just having a hard time lifestyle-wise putting one foot in front of the other. I want you to know this. That the battlefield is exactly that. Your mind and your heart. How important this is. And here's the thing. One, this is why this is so important. As we think about the mind and the heart as the battleground. One of Satan, in looking at this, one of Satan's most effective weapons against us on that battlefield is discouragement. And what does he do? When he, when he tries to discourage us, he wants you to either give in to that temptation or simply give up and say, it's not worth it anymore. That's like my friend Isaiah, who said, you know, give him opportunity to preach. It's like one day he wants to take the world, next day he wants to give it back. He was discouraged. And how important it is for us to have that helmet of salvation. Satan either wants us to give in or to give up. Satan's attacks are aimed at the believers. Then here's the point. Why do you need the helmet of salvation? Because Satan's attacks are aimed at the believer's security and assurance in Christ. He wants you to doubt that God really loves you and cares for you. He wants you to double think if God is really going to provide for that need, that outstanding bill or, or whatever, maybe a physical issue that's going on with you. He wants you to struggle with that. And we do struggle with that. It's a real thing. But when we let that settle in our minds and we're constantly thinking and worrying about it, what does it do? It disarms us from the battle to be effective soldier for Christ, to live for him. Remember this as we think about this. One of Satan's great enemy or great weapons, again, is discouragement. The other one is doubt. But doing this, what, is, what does this look like? Satan, he discourages us or makes us doubt by pointing, us, pointing out our failures. You remember how you messed up at the, at the workplace? Remember you said something you shouldn't have said? He talks about our sins. Oh, man, you think of something that happened 20 years ago even, still on our mind. He talks about unresolved problems. You know, you still haven't worked that out. You know, you think about that every day. Maybe poor health. Maybe that affects you. Negative situations in our lives. And again, what does this do? The end result, if we dwell in it, we end up losing confidence that God is really there for us. This is what it's about, okay? The thing is this. We need to be confident and assured that Christ is with us and he has prepared us for this. But the helmet of, of salvation protects us against discouragement. It gives us hope knowing that through God we are saved. We are saved, but also that we will be saved. We will be delivered from this life. This is talking about the full salvation that we have. Yes, we have a taste of it, of glory divine. Heaven came down and glory filled your soul. I hope that's your testimony. But that's just a foretaste of glory divine. This life is not all there is. This is a blip on the radar of eternity, folks. We can't wait. I don't know about you. I can't wait till we get to glory and have that. So the helmet of salvation will come to full uh, fruition there. And this is the assurance that God will triumph. 
when we hear, here's the point. When we wear the helmet of salvation, it's hard to stay discouraged. You know, when, when we face a crisis of faith, it's vital to wear this helmet of salvation. Uh, sometimes in, in counseling, talk someone who is going through maybe things that are just overwhelming in their lives, we kind of look at it as the fog of war. The fog of war where there's just so much going around, you can't even see your hand in front of you, it feels like. But here's the point. When you follow the facts, when, when, you, when you're in the fog of war, here's some, some good advice. Follow the facts on the ground. I mean, what is true? What, is, what, do, you, what do you know about your surroundings? What do you know of the, the objects that are in front of you? Follow, get those concrete things, those facts on the ground. For a Christian, this is why it's so important. When you're going through that fog of war spiritually, that's why it's important that we read the Bible and we know God's promises. That's the facts on the ground. Okay? Does God really love us? Yes, because he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Nothing will separate you from my love. Maybe you're struggling and say, well, am I really saved? I remember, and I, I, it was once a ton of time, maybe you were living righteously for the Lord. You know, a lot of people do struggle with their assurance of salvation. Romans 8, 1 says, what? There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. In other words, you are no longer condemned if you're a Christian. You are eternally secure in him. That's the promise of Christ right there. That's his power. You think of this in examples from the Bible. There's many people who went through discouragement in the fog of their own war. You think of Elijah after the great monument that happened at the, uh, Mount Carmel defeating the prophets of Baal. And all of a sudden, he runs for his life when he hears that Jezebel is after him. And what does he get? He finally gets some alone time. And what does Elijah say? God, I'm the only one left. And what does God say? Wait, there's 7,000 who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. That's the facts on the ground. You have Job, Job chapter 3. He basically says this, With all my suffering and pain, it would have been better that I would never have been born, God. He cries out in desperation and discouragement. And God says at the very end, where were you, Job, when I created this world? I'm here. You know what? It's okay to say when you're going through the midst of suffering or a trial, it's, it's natural for us to say, why God? Why God? But don't stop there with that question. Because Job turned that question, why God? And then at the very end of that book, he says, who are you, God? God is great. And he is our commander to follow. I think of the disciples on the road to Emmaus that Easter morning. They walk back home with their heads down and just so discouraged. And Jesus comes unseen to them, comes up. Why are you so sad? Why are, why are you so down, guys? And we, they say, we thought it would have been him, Jesus, who would have redeemed us. And he says, oh, fools and slow of heart, not to believe all the prophets have showed you. And here he reveals himself to them. Look at the facts on the ground. So let me kind of finish this morning up by saying this. How can a believer then put on the helmet of salvation? Really, to put on the helmet of salvation is to put on the mind of Christ. We do that by renewing of your minds. We do it by rejecting doubts that arise from circumstances. We do so by keeping an eternal perspective. This world is not our home. We're just a passing through. Lay up your treasure, not on earth, but in heaven. Also, remember that victory is accomplished. Okay, victory is accomplished through him. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And then also we find, how do we wear the helmet of salvation? We find all of our hope in him. You know what? The helmet is most effective when we treasure what it represents, our hope in Christ. When the Lord is our delight, Satan's tricks and evil schemes become powerless. So kind of summing this up, wearing the helmet of salvation really insulates, protects our minds against the attacks of the enemy. 
And I encourage you, guard your minds against worldly influences and think on things that honor God. Okay? Philippians 4.8, good example there. In doing so, we wear our salvation as a protective helmet that will guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Wearing the armor of God affects us how we live. Remember, right before Ephesians 6, uh, what, are, what, is, what is Paul talking about? He says how to live in your personal life, walking wisely, walking in love, walking uh, worthy. He also talks about how you deal that in your marriage, how you deal with your children, how you deal with even the workplace. Every part of your life is affected when we wear our armor that God has graciously given to us. Be careful, though, not to become overconfident or arrogant in your walk. It's very easy to say, you know what, I'm good on my own. I don't need God's help. You'll fall very quickly without realizing it. Therefore, wearing the helmet of salvation then what? Calls us to live victorious lives, knowing that we are assured of the ultimate deliverance found in Jesus Christ. I finish with this quote by commentator Adam Clark. He says this, He who carries Christ in his heart cannot be cheated out of his hope for heaven. That's what Satan wants to do. He wants to rob you of the joy of being a believer in Christ, having that hope, that assurance of salvation. He's going to discourage you. He's going to try to make you doubt. But putting on the helmet of salvation gives us confidence and assurance that Christ is our captain. And by putting on that helmet, we know that we are saved by grace from faith, from the penalty of sin. We know that we're saved now from the power of sin. Death has no power over us. Sin has no power over you in Christ. And he gives us that assurance that one day we will be freed from that future presence of sin. And for that, it's all worth it when we put on the helmet of salvation.